You're listening to Soul Radio. Welcome back to Homeroom, a podcast series presented by Soul. I'm your host, Benjamin Aydin. In this series, I'll be speaking with some of the people I've met on my journey as a founder and creative director of Le Benjamin. These people are friends, but also have served as mentors and guides, sharing advice and experience. In these conversations, I ask them questions on what drives them, what inspires them, but also advice on what it takes to make it in their respective industries. Today, my guest is Colm Delane, AKA Kid Super. I'll be speaking with him about building an accessible brand keeping a childlike sense of wonder, and his new collab with Puma. Kid Super, welcome to Homeroom. How did Kid Super come about? So I started making clothing when I was quite young um, in high school. And it was never this plan to have this brand. I mean, we wanted to make a brand, but it, there wasn't... We didn't know what path we were going to take. We were just 15, 14, making T-shirts for friends' birthdays or for kids in our high school. And I remember, like, we had a big discussion. There was, like, eight of us, and we had a brand. And we were like, how do we sell to people that aren't our friends? And we couldn't, we didn't have the answers. We couldn't, we were like, do we find them on the street? So we would set up outside on, uh in soho or we were like do we go to stores and when we'd go to stores they'd be like they'd ask what brand is this and we we're like who cares what brand it is do you like the shirt or not and there and that was the moment when i was realizing we we're like okay brand is more important than the design and so i was really young like 15 16 uh 17 and then when i was 17 I went uh, a year to Brazil after high school to play soccer. And while I was playing soccer, there's a lot of downtime. So I kept designing, designing, designing. And so when I came back to America a year later, I had all these designs. And I was like, you know, I'm going to launch this a brand. And I had gone through millions of names as in high school from uh, trying to come up with uh, the perfect name and Kid Super came out randomly when we were joking, saying like, "Oh, if I could be anything, what would I be?" And I was like, "I'm a superhero. I'm Super Kid." And what I liked so much about the name was that it was pushing me to be this superhero character. The more I called the brand Kid Super, the more I had to do amazing things. And I, I know we were talking about it before, but a great example was this Paris Fashion Week. Nobody was expecting me to do it. Nobody was asking me to do it. Uh, it was very kind of off-brand a little bit because we were a very streetwear-focused uh, brand in New York City. And I remember sitting there like, do I really want to do this? This is going to be so difficult. It's going to be so financially difficult. Can I even pull it off? Is it worth it? And I, and I remember being like, we're kids super like obviously I have to say yes or I have to try you know what I mean yes. so that's what I love so much about the brand and the the whole idea was since I started at such a young age I always had that like childlike sense of wonder that anything's possible we're making this ourselves like we're creating our own world and so when I got a storefront which I was living in the back of so it was basically like an apartment that also was a store I remember I would 
I was in college still, so I'd I had all my classes on like Tuesday or like on Thursday and Tuesday. Yeah. So I'd come back and open the store Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I had a regular store kind of in a, a bad retail neighborhood. So there wasn't too much foot traffic and I wasn't well known at all. And so I would just be sitting in the store and nobody would come. And I was like, Holy how for shit. long was that? Probably like a year. And uh, I was sitting there maybe like six months. And I was like, I invented this. I was like, I invented the whole concept, the store, everything. And I'm just sitting here alone. Nobody's coming. I was like, this is horrible. Uh, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, why am I following the structures of a store? I was like, I, I'm the boss. I can do whatever I want. So I was like, okay, I'm going to build out this space so that people want and need to come here. So I was like, okay, I'm going to turn reverse it. I reversed it. So I was like, I'm going to build a space that I would want to go to even if the clothes were good or bad. So I, I remember I had gotten a, uh, this is so funny, but Converse had called. And wanted me to be in one of their campaigns. And this was my first time a big brand had called me. And so I get there and they're, it's like a photo shoot thing. And they're like, it's, it's going to be $5,000. And I was like, I have to pay you $5,000 to be in this? They were like, no, we're paying you $5,000. I was like, you're paying me $5,000 to be in this? And so I remember being like, <laughs> okay, this is a bit, and it was like literally like a two hour shoot where I had to go like, duh, duh. and I remember leaving and I, and I, they gave me the $5,000 check and I was like, this is incredible. And so I blew the entire $5,000 on building a recording studio in the basement. And it wasn't the best recording studio, but $5,000 will get you a working recording studio. And so okay. I had this little recording studio. And I wanted it to be, as I said before, Kid Super, right? So that's, and what I love is like Kid Super is kind of a verb now or like an adjective, you know, you have to make it Kid Super. And so I wanted there to be a sliding vending machine door entrance into the recording studio, right? So it looked like there wasn't anything there and you'd slide the vending machine and you'd enter this recording studio. And so I spent like four months trying to steal this recording studio, uh, this, uh, this vending machine door. So that was its own story for itself. But I finally got this, uh, door. And I remember thinking like, this might not be the best recording studio, but it's the coolest. It's in the basement of a store in Brooklyn. It's got this secret, uh, door. It, it has a cool vibe. I had painted all the walls. And so, and then I built like a photos uh set up for the in-store and people started coming just to use the recording studio and da 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 you actually and built so a community space i built a community space and that was kind of the goal for me because the best thing always about uh making clothing for me was meeting the people it was always a catalyst a catalyst for conversation and a catalyst for conversation with really interesting people or people i was a fan of so from musicians to artists to now even athletes and da 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 so it was really opening up the people i could meet and once i met people 
I was like, okay, now what can I do? You know what I mean? Because I didn't get into clothing because I loved fashion or I blah, blah, blah. Clothing for me was a creative outlet as a young per, as a young kid to also that was making money because when you're 15 or 14, no one's going to buy your artwork, your paintings, your whatever, but they will buy a 15 to $20 t-shirt. So this was really cool for me as a young person to be like, holy, this is crazy. People are actually buying something that I made. And so this space started representing what Kid Super really was. If you wanted to understand what Kid Super was, you went to the space and you're like, okay, this isn't really a brand, but it is a brand. This isn't really clothing, but it is clothing. They're really following. It's a hybrid of everything, I guess. It's right. It's a community space. It's a community movement. It's art. It's fashion. But at the same time, it's anti-fashion. It's like yeah, it's definitely of. It's like it's what's funny is like in high school, like counterculture was streetwear, right? Like Supreme, Babe, da da da. I was almost counterculture, counterculture as well because. Counterculture had gotten, had, had gotten such a like hype to it that it was making even like young kids feel like shit if they didn't have the blah blah blah. So yeah, dude, um, I hate that like when when you have like when you have those groups and if you can't buy a certain brand, you're not part of the group. It I had that too growing up in Germany. And right. um it sucks, dude. And it also inspired me of I was actually also designing t-shirts first and I wasn't selling them. I was giving them away to friends. And then, and then people told me, yo, you need to sell this. Like, what are you right, doing? Right, right, right. So it is an outlet. And I, now I understand you more as well, because I think right. your character is a reflection of what Kid Super is. It's not, you can't right. describe it. You can't put Kid Super in a box. Yeah. And I think what's so great about Kid Super is it's branded not so much around clothing, but branded around that idea and that feeling and that mentality and that ethos when you're young and everything's amazing and everything's possible and everything. Da, da, da. And so for me, I had I had moved a lot growing up. So I had been like the new kid in, in school often. And so that like how I addressed being the new kid was like, hi, I'm Colum. I don't know when I'm going to Because I was moving so much as a young kid, I thought that every year I had to move, right? So I was like, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. So we have to make the most of it, right? And so that was kind of my attitude towards Kid Super. And it was funny because you got from a lot of these streetwear brands, the the energy and attitude was like, fuck everything. We're like, well, and it's exclusive. You can't even be a part of it. And mine was like, the super complete accessible. opposite in a way super accessible if you wanted to come i'd have a full conversation with you you could stay in the like the amount of people that randomly asked me hey can i crash at the store and i was like yeah no problem <laughs> two weeks one week and that was what was so special about the recording studio i was like it would be really cool if we started making songs that actually came out of the recording studio and were real and one of my friends, Doug, introduced introduced me to this artist named Russ. And Russ was... The musician Russ. 
the musician Russ. Yeah, my wife and, is obsessed with his music. Okay, so I have a good story then. <clears throat> so Russ had 600 Instagram followers. Not 600,000, not 6K, 600, right? Like a normal human being. Or even worse than a normal human being. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he had been dropping songs randomly and my friend randomly found out about him and he was like, Hey man, like you want to come up to New York city? I'll introduce you to the people. That's what my friend said. And, it, and Russ was just hungry to meet people. And he was like, yeah, I'll go up to New York city. And so he came up and my friend introduced me. He was like, call him. Do you want to direct a music video for Russ? And I was like, sure. I have no idea who Russ is. Didn't even listen to the music, but I was like, okay, cool. And Let's so we met and, and I started listening to the music and I was like, this is good. But I wasn't like, this is incredible. This is going to be me. I was like, this is good. A lot of people send music in New York City that are all good. So you don't yeah. know who's going to end up whatever. And so we directed a music video and me and Russ are the same age. So I, me and Russ started just becoming friends. And I really liked him as a person. And he was very ambitious and hardworking and kind of focused towards this goal that a lot of people thought was ridiculous and i like that about him right i was like hey man i have this recording studio in my basement do you want to see it and he was like yeah sure blah, blah blah and uh he can't he came over and the funny thing is like everyone thinks russ is like a little bit standoffish and cold and can be a douchebag but actually he's like he he's very excited and if things are awesome he's like the person to be like this is amazing yeah. and like when we first met him we were like he's so like strange because he's so excited about things but it was nice to see because everybody else is a little bit jaded and so i brought him to the store and he was like he opened this like vending machine door and was like this is incredible this is the best blah 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 and i was like look you can stay here as long as you want and he was like okay and he was down there in the basement for like six months and he recorded like 50 songs or something, or maybe Whoa. not 50, probably like 20, 25 songs. And of those 20 songs, like five of them have gone platinum. And so my basement that I built for $5,000 with my hands is now a platinum recording studio. And we have this huge plaque because I was like, Russ. You need to give me the biggest plaque ever. And I have this huge platinum plaque. And I do all Russ's album art. So I also did do the album art. And um, yeah, no, it's just like a beautiful circular moment where it's like I built something without even a thing, without really a thought about it going platinum. And it ended up being a space that, you know, changed, at least it changed Russ's life. It's changed Lolo Zui's life. It's changed a couple of people, uh, many people that have come through the space. And that was awesome. And for me, it was, I didn't ask for anything back. I just loved being around people like that. I love the energy. It's like, what are we doing this in life for? For money, for da da da, for anything or for actual relationship? No, you want to help your community. You want to bring right. people up with you because if you bring them up, they will bring you up, right? So Yeah, it's, now it's Russ a... owes me everything. <laughs> <laughs> Russ, if you're listening... No, he will. Well, I might not listen to this, but no, I mean, like, that's my bet. Like, I talk to him almost every day on stupid stuff, too. But 
But you you actually had uh, a degree in math in NYU, right? Uh, Correct. What were you planning on doing with that? Do you use that degree in your daily uh, work now? No, no, I, I definitely do not use Maybe it in my the, in the my daily work. Parts. Everybody always says like you must be great at finances. I was like, I'm good at math, but I still have no idea what taxes are, and I don't <laughs> understand them. Uh, I think no one understands taxes. No, and then you just hear that Donald Trump never paid taxes, and I'm like, why am I paying taxes? But um, yeah, so I was a math major because for a couple of reasons. One, I had this. My parents are European, right? My dad's from Ireland, my mom's from Spain, and my dad comes from a very like education first, old fashioned kind of household where it's like. There's four things you can be, you know what I mean? It's like doctor, yeah. engineer, teacher, right? And I had always been very good at math. And in high school, the call, the high school I went to in New York City, you had to test into, right? Um, and so the, basically all a lot of kids in New York City take the test and there's three schools and you test in and if you don't get them, you go to a shittier school. <laughs> but it's 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 public it's free and it's all about test taking so i got into one of those schools and it's very math and science based and so in that school when you're in your second year in high school you have to major which is kind of early so i majored in mathematics in high school and so then when i got to college i had all these math credits and i always had this weird thought process that school had to be difficult and hard and not enjoyable. That's what I they told had, us. I just had that in my mind. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do math because I know it's difficult and hard. And if everything goes wrong, if everything goes wrong, I'll at least have a math degree and then become, I don't know. I never really, I didn't have it planned out. I wasn't like, I always thought I was going to be something along these lines. I didn't think it was going to be fashion, though. But I did think I was going to be kind of like an inventor, if that makes sense. In a way, you're not just uh, in fashion. You right. are a community leader. You have your space. But but also going to space, I recall also that you were using your dorm room, right? And you were first yeah. selling stuff. Yeah. Tell me a bit about that. So when I was in college <laughs> at NYU, my dorm room, I got. Um, so basically, I was on the soccer team in college, right? And yeah. if you're in the soccer team in college, you get to pick your dorm room before everyone else, right? Also, you're privileged. <laughs> we're yeah, we were a little privileged, so we got to pick. Everyone wanted different dorm rooms, but if you're an athlete, you get to pick first. So we picked the top floor of this one of the dorm rooms and it was called penthouse it was no mm. different than the others but it was called penthouse so we we're like this is awesome right and within that penthouse uh dorm room there is one solo room every other room was together with someone else and all my friends knew about kid super and i was like look let me get the solo room and i'll turn it into a store and they were like, no one believed me. That was the thing. And so 
I bought like all these racks from Home Depot and I just ordered like my first collection, which was just t-shirts and hoodies and, and a hat. But the way I set up the room is I spray painted the walls, which was incredibly un unallowed. And then when you walked in, there was just racks of clothing. And I was like, okay, let's let, I was like, there's 25,000 kids that go to this school. I was like, if I get one of e if one student, if one of every student hears about Kid Super and one out of every five students buys a t-shirt, I was like, I'm a millionaire. <laughs> and so I was like, <laughs> that's was like, when your oh, math skills kick in. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay, let's try to get, let's try to tap into this school's community and try to get all these people coming in and around the store. And so I didn't tap into the entire uh, community, but kids started hearing about it and coming to the dorm and buying these clothes and stuff. And then the dean of housing found out about it because I was bringing in random people from the street to come into my dorm to look into the store. <laughs> and so to get people into your dorm room in New York City, you have to sign them in. So I was signing in random people <laughs> to come in to my dorm room to buy clothes. So it got a little uh, we, like they didn't like it and they ended up like telling me if I don't move it, they're going to kick me out. And uh, and then I got I and then you had to stop it. And then I had to stop it, but I didn't stop it. And then I had to like meet with the dean of housing and I dressed up in a suit and I had a pot, uh, a PDF PowerPoint presentation about <laughs> why they should support me. And not tell me to uh, remove it. I was like, this is entrepreneurship. I was like, I'm like Mark Zuckerberg. I'm the next <laughs> Facebook. So I was good. like, you should be supporting me. I should be on the cover of the housing. You should be emailing all your students. Uh, and they were very, uh, they, didn't, they didn't like that. So I ended up saying, fuck it. I'm going to move. Uh, and try to find a store that I can live out. And that yeah. was basically how this whole thing happened. I was like, look, my rent in the city is this much. If I can find a store in Brooklyn that's around the same, I can make this work. So I moved into a space in Brooklyn with a friend and we split rent and it was like a house, but it was also a store. And then there was a funny part. That person ended up moving out and for a little bit, I was airbnb a room in the store. And so people from like Sweden and everything would rent a room in a store. But the way I called it was a studio. I didn't call it a store. And so if they stayed there for more than like two days, they'd start asking questions like, is this a store or blah, blah, blah? Because I'd open up the <laughs> gate and people would be coming in while we're airbnb which was hilarious. Some people ended up loving it because it was like the most authentic Brooklyn experience. You know, if you're from a foreign place and you're trying to get this like New York experience, what's more New York than like randomly sleeping in a store in Brooklyn? <laughs> that's such a, I must say that's a very creative solution. I must say. <laughs> yeah, so I, was, I was renting that to make money. Uh, yeah, I had a lot of schemes. A lot of schemes, but the Airbnb was one of the more hilarious ones because Airbnb just, should hear about this. This is a great concept that they can th implement. That's what I'm saying. Airbnb <laughs> is just 
it needs to sponsor my life as well. So uh, from changing your mindset of uh, doing it on the side, like doing your kid super on the side to becoming a business, what was the shift of that and how did it affect you? So since I was doing it so young, right? By the time that I ended college, it was pretty serious. You know what I mean? I had a store. I was making a little bit of money. And um, so it's like I never looked for a job. It was like, okay, I'm done with college. But I'm, I was doing by the my last like semester in college, I was so kid super. Things were moving. Things were happening. Um, yeah, so I never had that moment of like, okay, you don't remember when it like, uh, it kind of became by itself. Or it yeah, was. it was like, because everything in Kid Super's world has been like this. There's never been like a uh, 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 moment. I see. And everybody always asks like, what was the aha moment? It was like, I don't, don't even know. think it's happened. I don't think it's happened yet. I was like, I'm, I'm still waiting for that. Maybe it would have been the converse moment for you because it, well, that was the first time that you ever had right. anyone approach that was, you, right? That was cool, but I mean, yes, it, that was, but that didn't feel like my life didn't drastically change. Like nobody, it wasn't like now everybody. Oh, they ended up not even using my picture because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, they're like, it's gonna be on billboards and blah blah, blah across New York. I was like, this is incredible. I can't wait. And then it, the campaign came out, and I saw everyone else on <laughs> where am I? But but me, and I was like, oh man, maybe I'm not that cool. <laughs> no, 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 no. But at that moment, that didn't feel like an aha moment. That just felt awesome. That was like, okay, this is this is cool. But I didn't feel like because I feel like the aha moment you need to like know what's. I, I feel yeah. like you need to figure out things. I was just got five thousand dollars. I had no idea what to do with But it. Listening to you, Colm, like it, it's kind of like you're not afraid about taking like uh, challenges, and you create your own challenges as well. It's not like right. it's not like you know the way to go. It's like right. you're kind of creating your own routes and discovering. And if it works, it works. And it's quite yeah, interesting think... and inspiring for kids. I think that are listening I... to this. That's what I kind of think is so important about the brand is the story. If you want to follow the Kid Super route, it's possible because I didn't do anything that I was very much not knowing. Because you know how people think there's gatekeepers and you're yeah. thinking, uh, what who's going to let me in and blah, blah, blah. I never even thought of that concept. You don't I always care about them. Or I always assumed nobody lets you in anywhere. So I was like, okay, I'm going to just break down all kind of uh, walls that I see. And for me, it's like, okay, what's fun, right? Getting written up by Hype Beast, right? Or creating a community center. Those were like, I didn't care about this world at all. I was like so excited about meeting people and making things and really real. that. I was made a speech that I was just getting the momentum. <laughs> Now, can we please, Colm, can we please repeat this again? Mm, <laughs> you know, you're an actor too, I know. My, I think my main point was that all these hype beast people will come. 
if I keep exactly. doing awesome stuff, the blogs will come. And I was never obsessed with that. I never cared. I never even cared really about sales either. The amount of times that uh, people are like, why haven't you dropped clothes in so long? And I was like, well, I was doing this video. I was doing this like installation, this gallery. I did this art. I did three fashion shows back to back to back without dropping any clothing because I just like forgot. And I did. I don't know if you know, but my first Paris show was summer, spring 20 or something, I think. Or mm -hmm. I've done three now. So I did. Yeah, because I just did summer, spring 2021. So my first one was summer, spring 20. And then I get back to New York, right? And they're like, are you doing New York Fashion Week? And I was like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and they're like, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I can do this installation. I don't know if you saw, but it was the recycling thing I did where there was, I got everyone to donate a millions of clothes, like pile of clothes. And then I got Singer to donate sewing machines. And I got a whole month long installation of anyone could come and sew together some of the fabric. And then I would make a fashion show out of all the sewn pieces or the best ones. I had no idea what the plan was. I had no idea if anyone was going to show up, but I presented the opportunity for it to succeed. And it ended up being incredible. We ended up getting Action Bronson to walk, Danny Lay walked. It was huge packed out show. So many people came and I remember going and we didn't get so much press. Right. And I had just gotten a Vogue right up for my first one. And I was like, the first one was cool, but this is amazing. This was a community driven. There's yeah. the sustainability it's aspect. Real. There's cycling, the, everything. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. I was like, this is the most right about thing ever. And I was like, why is nobody writing about it? And they responded and they said, This is New York Fashion Week, summer, spring 20. You just did summer, spring 20. I was like, what are you talking about? They're like, you just did two collections for the same season. And I was like, you can't cheat the system. Call I was Come like, on. I, I was like, I was like, I had no idea. So I did two fashion shows for the same season in two different cities because they were a month after each other. And so I was like, For three months straight, I was like zero sleep, working so hard. And then the next fashion show was in January and I didn't drop any clothes and I did another one. So I had three fashion shows back to back to back. And I was like, my bank account was at negative because I just forgot about clothing. And so, but for me, it's like all that business stuff, all the like, uh, Clothing and stuff will come. You know what I mean? Yeah. And being professional and being on time and being da 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 will come. But will what won't naturally. come is these what won't come is these natural experiences and building this community and doing things that kind of outlast selling a hundred sweatshirts. You know what I mean? It's kind of like when I'm listening to you, you're also against the fashion system. You want to break the rules. You want to like be yourself and you want to inspire people and you want to bring your people together as well. Yeah. I mean, I was never, uh, the idea of being like judging someone if they have a Gucci shoes. I hate that. That was always, I was super against that. The reason I started making clothing was so that I didn't buy other people's clothing. So it was like, because I didn't like the concept of you're 14 years old 
and people think you're cool because you have X, Y, Z. The latest shoes. Right. I was like, that shouldn't make you cool. It'd be cool if you made those things. And so that was like kind of that pushed me to start making clothes. And so I'm, I wouldn't say I'm against, like I'm against fashion, but I'm more pro making your own thing, right? I'm pro. You're against actually the social status thing. Yeah, because I just don't like people judge. I mean, nobody should, but you shouldn't judge people on how much money they can spend. It doesn't make you cool or not cool. I'm older than Instagram in high school, right? Because imagine going to high school and having Instagram. Oh, my God. No. It would be absolutely crazy. Dude, like, I was going with my Pokemon cards to school in my folder. I, I'm saying like the hot girl in your high school would be like, famous she could have like thirty thousand followers in high school how does that you know, feel that's so weird and, i never thought about this yeah and then also like the cool kid that might not be good in school or blah 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 is now has a hundred thousand instagram followers i think also yeah i mean social media for kids in high school must be dude some kids are like celebrity kids they're born with millions of followers right how yeah. does that feel i mean it we're definitely going through a very strange social time where we forgot to touch each other hug each other look into each other's eye you know when you go to fashion weeks everyone is like oh yeah everyone is hyped and everyone is someone that's what was so funny it's like you go into these fashion weeks and everyone's trying to be the cool guy right but then i'm there and i'm actually like making fashion shows and doing them really well like that's that's another thing like we can be goofy and silly and whatever, yeah. but Kid Super always delivers on an incredibly high level, I think. Obviously, I'm biased. But well, uh, um, I like what you do. And uh, it's really, and I, what I also want to tap into it a little bit is your creative process. Since a lot of kids and uh, people in the fashion industry will be listening to this, we'll love yeah. to hear, like, how do you find the idea? And how does it? turn into a product i am incredibly inspired by deadlines and i always think this right i'm a big soccer player grew up playing soccer blah blah, blah. i think if you took let's say there's 20 kids on a soccer team right and there's the kid that's always the captain that has it in him he's the leader he's the da 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 he's the captain you always give him the captain boy. and then there's the shy kid right that doesn't maybe doesn't in your mind, seem like the captain. If you gave him the captain band, right? And everyone started treating him like the captain. I think he would step up and have the answers and have the captain in them. And why I say that is, I think if you give anyone real like deadline and opportunity, they will come up with something that is creative, right? And any human being, if you give them the power, the confidence, if you went up to a regular kid in New York City that's like a fashion kid, right? And we're like, hey, we want you to design the next Louis Vuitton collection. We give you all of these resources, blah, blah, and the confidence. They would come up with something that's really interesting and unique and fresh, but people don't have the confidence, people don't have the opportunities, da, 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 da. So for me, it's constantly giving myself these like opportunities to succeed. So or fail. 
but at least opportunities. So I'm always inspired by like, okay, I have a month to come up with this concept. I give myself two days to come up with it. You just have to kind of like, I'm a sprint creator. Like I have to just go for it. So for me, if it's not coming, I just, I just do. And then I get inspired by that. So like, for example, for the last collection, I was kind of, uh, I wasn't seeing the big picture of like what the name should be or what the theme should be or whatever. But I knew one of the jackets was going to have a painting on it, right? Because I'm always trying to put in the uh, my artwork and painting into everything. So I just ended up painting. I was like, okay, fuck it. I'm not going to worry about this big macro idea. I'm just going to finish this painting. And through that painting, I came up with the concept of like, okay, what do I want to paint? What am I trying to say with this collection? Da, da, da. And there it's like, okay, bam, now I have the idea and we run with it. But for me, I'm like constantly inspired by my actions and doing and setting deadlines that make you and force you to do. And I think a lot of people kind of get uh, like scared and down on themselves and never start actually acting out. But if for someone who's like constantly, people are always like, Colin, when do you sleep? When do you da da da? Because I've Never. released all this stuff. But for me, it's like the reason you guys think I do so many things is because I actually finish. So many people attempt things, but you never see the output. They're too scared to finish uh, because they're scared what their friends are going to say, what the people are going to say, if people are going to be curious about what they did. I know, but the, what you have to understand is that ha making something shitty now that inspires the per you that makes something amazing in five, ten years, that story is so much better than making something amazing. Because people are going to dive into somebody that's failed, that has history, that has uh, years of working. Do you want to support the person that this is their first time ever making a t-shirt? No. You want to support the person who's been working, grinding, that you can see that Hustling. actually that deserves it. And that's a huge thing. It's like, do you deserve success? It's up to whoever determines it. But I think the only way, the way to like what, what we were saying is like high snobiety, hypebeast, all these people have to start writing about me sooner or later. You know what I mean? Because they I have put to, in yeah. so much work i put in so many things if they don't it's like bad journalism <laughs> they're exactly. just like shutting their eyes so i think for all these people that are like that's a great thing because i have lots of kids always dm me and say oh we always see you on hype beast how do we get on there it's like you guys shouldn't worry about that you guys should be worrying about your own work because when you do right. your own work you get there somehow you know it's just take some time and it's hilarious like they want it from me, day one you know, they I know. Day one and for me, it was like uh, we just got high. One of our uh, we just got the high snobody podcast, right? And I was talking to the guy, uh, Gian, what, uh, what, Gian Delian, one of the famous high snobody people, and I was like, "Why now? Like, I've been." Why now? <laughs> you asked the journalist a question. Yeah, I was like, why are <laughs> I you, love it. Why are you calling me now? 
And he was like, look, we just did a podcast last uh, week. And the podcast was about uh, Paris Fashion Show Virtual. And we had a call-in part, like call-in to, to comment to what you thought was the best fashion show. We got about 60 calls, right? 40 of them were all Kid Super. He was like, we had to call you. And I was like, that is, that is everything. I was, it, I made it undeniable. Not because of my connections or da da da. It was because I made the best fashion show. And so I think for all the people uh, listening out there, it's like, you just got to keep at it. Were there some ideas or like designs when you're like, oh, this doesn't work at all? I have to take it out. And how is that process? How do you make that selection like? Well, there's been there's been times with manufacturing errors where I'll send a design and then they'll send me back like the full mass order and it'll look nothing like what I ordered, like different fabric, different da 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 da. And you just kind of have to like sell it, you know what I mean? Just have to think this is uh this is what we wanted. It was funny, one of the shirts we I wanted it to be like a rayon shirt material. And when I got it, it was like almost like a plastic bag. It was like plastic <laughs> bag material. And we were like, fuck, man, this is not what we wanted. And I remember in the description and the product, we called it lightweight uh waterproof something right sweater blah, blah blah and i get messages to this day about what material is that i, I love it <laughs> it's so lightweight and like good for water da, da, da. and so i think like you just have to uh go roll with the punches i mean obviously things fail and things are successful but that's what's also uh, i keep stressing is like it's important to create a brand that has a story that can convince not convince people but people want to buy in no and matter what the people, product like yeah. make them curious about you and people want to buy into the product no matter what the product is you know what i mean just because they're so invested in their brand and they believe in what their money is going towards and so that for me sometimes is more important than the actual product it's like okay We want people because, I mean, you look at some pieces that Gucci makes and it's like, I do not want a tiger on top of a zebra on top of a embroidered on a giraffe for a thousand dollars. But people buy it because it's Gucci. Right. But if another brand did it, it would be unsellable. And so you have to try to create that kind of brand where you can sell things that. The. If you if you are capable of doing that, you can get creative. And that's why I was doing the Paris Fashion Week. I was doing the Paris like I'm a streetwear brand from New York City. I know I had never been to a Paris fat I had never been to a fashion show before my own. My first fashion show was my own fashion show. That's an amazing quote. You should do a t-shirt out of that. So what I but the reason I did these fashion shows is because I realized that the more high-end I get, the more creative I can be. I didn't want to continue designing t-shirts and hoodies. I wanted to be able to design if I want a dress, if I want, you know, a suit, blah, blah, blah. So that was what was so cool about entering this like Paris Fashion Week 
It's like now I can be creative. I can do literally these avant-garde pieces and it fits and makes sense. And, and that's cool. Stop, your stop motion uh, fashion show also kind of gives a glimpse that you kind of want to move also to more avant-garde. Not just yeah, I think it's funny because growing up, I was like, I do not understand these fashion shows. I was like, who the fuck wears this? <laughs> I was like, why? And today would you? you're one of them. Yeah, I was like, why the fuck? Why would you ever do this? And now I realize, like, it's just a creativity flex, right? It's just to present how creative you can be in this format. And now I'm like, okay, we need to get as avant-garde as possible. Like, I want the dress. <laughs> so it's funny. And yeah, I mean, you just have to be like, for these fashion shows, you have to realize that they're they're more on a presentation of your creative ability rather than a presentation of your clothing ability, I yeah. think. And t can you tell me a bit about your upcoming collab that you have with Puma right now? Especially your heritage of football and right. how everything, like, how did the idea come about? So I think we were getting to the point as a brand where it was like, okay, we were doing these one-off collaborations. So I did a soccer jersey for Nike. I did like a customization thing for Adidas. I did a workshop for Converse. I did, uh, I actually made a commercial for Puma for another brand which I think is funny. I They hired me as like the commercial, which is cool. But I had done all of these things that I was like, okay, what's the next step? The next step is a collaboration, right? And I was thinking, okay, we could get one shoe. Like most collaborations you see now with a brand, it's like, here's the one shoe, that's it. And then they try to hype up that shoe as much as they can. And that's the collaboration. And usually within this one shoe, it's just color changing, right? It's like already yeah, yeah. a famous silhouette, but you're just switching the colors and you're writing your brand on it. So we that's what I was expecting. And I was like, okay, I'm in. Like, that sounds awesome. I'll, I'll do whatever, right? And so what I was trying to do is, you are, are familiar with the brand Pagal, right? Yeah, like of course. I know Stefan. Amazing. So I don't know him, but... That basketball court is the greatest thing anyone's ever done. It is on everyone's mood board, I guess. <laughs> uh, everyone's mood board. So I am not a basketball player, right? But when you think of New York City, you think of basketball. He is not a soccer player. But when you think of France, you think of soccer, right? So yes. I was like, I want to create the soccer version of in New York. I was like, I can be that person. I'll be the... Pagal for France, I'll be the, uh, and basketball, I'll be the soccer for New York. And uh, um, I was like, okay, there's no single brand in New York City that's tapped into like soccer, right? In uh, that's in like a cool streetwear way. So I had this whole presentation and I had connections with Nike, Adidas from all these previous things. And I was like, look, I'm a diehard Ronaldinho fan. So my plan was, I went to Nike and I was like, Nike, let's do a Kid Super Ronaldinho campaign, uh, blah, blah, blah. I was like, because Ronaldinho is Nike for the rest of their his life. And the person, the people in Nike didn't understand. The, the, the guy who's the head of soccer at Nike had no idea 
what soccer was. And I was like, okay, this is, this is crazy. He didn't even know who David Villa was. And David Villa was playing for New York FC. It's like the biggest person that's come to New York soccer. Um, anyways, at the time. So I was like, okay, let's try different brands. And so when I was speaking to Puma, I'm a huge, uh, Puma King fan and obviously Pele and Maradona and blah, blah, blah. And when I was talking to Puma, everything I said, they were like, yeah, maybe. Okay, maybe. And I was like, let's see how big we can go with this. And so as each idea I said, they were kind of responsive towards it. And Nike thinks they're these big, they're the best. Everybody wants to be with them. They give the worst contracts. They give you the worst everything. And for me, I didn't care if it was the only reason I wanted Nike was because of Ronaldinho. <laughs> if Ronaldinho was Puma or Adidas, I would have wanted to eat them. And for me, I was somewhat of an underdog, right? I always thought Kid Super was the underdog brand, right? And so Puma at the time is like oh, trying to get into the same hype as Nike and Adidas, somewhat Adidas, and uh, they're a little bit of the underdog as well. And so I felt like if we collaborated, they would, one, allow me to do the most, and two, it would be like two underdogs working together and we were going to fight the system. <laughs> Even though, obviously, Puma's uh, part of the system and a huge brand, but that was what was exciting for me. And I remember pitching, I was like, okay, I want to build a kid super soccer field. And they're like, that seems potential. And I was like, Really? And then I was like, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do a kid super soccer Puma King, right? And everybody, I don't think they realized for me what a Puma King meant, right? Puma King is Pele. Puma King is Maradona. Puma King is Cruyff. Puma King is like the, that's like Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan. That's like three Michael Jordans back to back to back. And so they're like, yeah, you can do a Puma King. And I remember leaving the meeting like, holy shit, I don't think they know what they're giving me. (laughs) 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 And so that's what was so inspiring about the Puma deal was like it was really allowing me to do anything. And there were so like, even when we were designing the shoes, it was like, I was like, okay, what are the rules? Like, what what do we have to follow? And they're like, basically just use this sole and you can do whatever you want on the top. And I was like, really? Because I'm looking at all these brands that are getting this like new balance nike adidas collabs and they're just changing the color and this was something where i could completely make uppers from scratch and so we came into like our first official meeting we had a pdf of 50 pages right of ideas concepts things we wanted to make and they were blown away because i think most designers that go there it's like their fifth collaboration. They've already been doing collaborations with other brands. They go in there and they're like, yeah, like the theme for this is brown. <laughs> and then like the the design team at Puma puts it together and they're like, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. But for us, we were like, this is this is everything we want to do. This is what. And they were like, holy shit. Um, so, yeah, we were just super excited and trying to make the most of it. For this launch, we were supposed to do, like, a soccer tournament with all, like, every uh, news outlet was going to get a soccer team. So it was going to be, like, and and whatever, whoever plays soccer, we were going to do a little soccer team. So it was, like, high somebody, maybe verse 424 or whatever, if it all went right. 
but the world ended and Corona happened and everything. So yeah. it was like, what are we going to do? And I was like, I've always wanted to do a cartoon. Right. And so they're like, okay, sure. What are you thinking? And I was, they were like, how's like 30 second. They were like, what's it like? You're thinking like a 30 second little like, ha ha ha. And I was like, how about seven, seven episodes, five minutes each full cartoon series. They're like, what? And I was like, I just, <laughs> I was like, I wrote it already. I found the animating studio. It's going to cost this much. And they're like, okay, sure. And so now I have like a full cartoon series coming out. And we've gotten some hilarious voices to play characters, which I don't know if we can drop yet. Alberto, wink, wink, wink. But, um, We've got some amazing people voicing the characters. Definitely going to watch it, man. Yeah, and, and what's cool is, like, I've always wanted to do a cartoon out of everything, right? Outside of anything, clothing, da-da-da. And Puma finally made this, like, real. And if you look at it, it looks like a real cartoon. It feels like... And so that's what I was saying about taking the opportunities and doing the most of it. Like, you hear about people's collaborations. I can't think in my head of anyone doing something that crazy as a promo it's like oh they have a great seating list so it's like oh that's cool like you sent it to kanye west and kim kardashian but <laughs> i just we don't have kim kardashian's address right now but you know maybe she'll see the cartoon <laughs> <laughs> but i what i was saying is like i think what's cool is like i think that that cartoon can live outside of this Right and grow into its own. It's thing. in it's his own art. It becomes an art piece by itself. And I think it's gonna live after this. The first thing I'm gonna do is try to call someone from Netflix and be like, "Hey, here's the cartoon. Do you like it?" Dude, uh, I I was reading this book and I don't remember the name, but uh, one word that struck me and it, uh, I I think you're one of them as well. You're a cultural provocatist. You keep provocating things. We're trying. I mean, I think everyone always asks, like, why, where are the ideas coming from or blah, blah, blah. It's like, I always wanted opportunities to do these things, right? Now I'm getting opportunities. Obviously, I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? People are so shocked. Like, why would you? It's like, you didn't want to have a cartoon when you were little? Like, obviously, if I'm going to get the opportunity to pitch it, I'm going to do it. And I think we're getting to a point in, like, brands where it's like doing real stuff and being a good person and all that stuff is getting hype now so people are like finally accepting and being excited about like if like 10 years ago if i didn't have an instagram presence or if i didn't have a little community that i had built you could never go into a meeting really and be like this is gonna work but now that i've built my own little world people can see that they're gonna like uh react positively towards kind of the kid super spirit and i don't know and how was your criteria when you collaborate with brands do you look at like finding an authentic angle or how does it work i think if you're gonna i think i could collab with any brand in the planet besides like like i think i could get a viagra collab and it would work And because I would play it in like a funny way and how hilarious would it be for me to direct Viagra commercials and it'd just be like a 
old guys with rock hard dicks just like running into doors and like, oh man, forgot I took Viagra today. And then it's just like Viagra, keeping you hard whenever you want it or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but I'm saying like, I think the kid super spirit is so like fun that you can kind of make everything work. Uh, and so, and I think if you're a successful brand, Throughout your history, you've done some amazing things, right? Yeah. You can't become this super successful thing without doing some incredible things. So I think there's always things you can tap into in a DNA level of a successful brand. Also, everyone has a kind of similarity. You know, like, it's crazy to think, but like Puma, Nike, Adidas were once some guy sitting down in their room kind of thinking, oh, it would be cool to have my own brand, right? And now you... Fast forward a hundred years and you have these world changing brands. But I think there's always that kid super DNA within all these brands that I can always collaborate with. Also, in general, your work isn't just fashionable. It's fun. And because of that, it's authentic. People aren't just buying a hoodie. They're buying a piece of personality, right? Like what, how we were talking today about your past and you doing all these uh, things that you feel to do. How do you maintain the personality in collaborating and also balancing your partner's needs and its um, its personality? Yeah, I mean, I I always say this, but I feel like when I when you collaborate with Kid Super, it becomes kind of a Kid Super project. But that's what you wanted, you know what I mean? That's what you you did the whole. I don't even think about the other person's like so much if I'm collaborating. We're trying to make it as special as Kid as, Super as much as, as Kid Super as possible. But I always think, you know that album art, the prism for Pink Floyd where the of light course. goes in? Of course. So I always see Kid Super as this prism, right? You bring in something and it goes through it and it comes out colorful. And so that is how you collaborate with the Kid Super world. It's like, this is the prism. Whatever the concept is, you put in Puma, you put in whatever, it comes out colorful. Obviously, colorful can be a metaphor for anything. But for me, it's like that was the idea. So you could it elevates it. It could elevate it. I mean, obviously, we're by or I'm biased. I think it's awesome, but not some people. I mean, there's a million people that are always like, this is ridiculous clothing. Who would wear this? Blah, 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 blah. Um, But for me, it was just about kind of maintaining that ethos of like holy shit now everything's amazing trying to push the boundaries of what we think a collaboration could be and that's why like i think we got the puma king cleat because we asked for it it wasn't like they presented it but we were pushing the limits of what we thought was possible and now like hector bellerin wore it in training and for me to have a professional soccer player in the epl wear a kid super cleat That is great. That's like, talk about bucket lists, lists getting checked off. I'm trying to think about like how many bucket lists we checked off in this Puma collab. It's like cartoon, check. Global collaboration, check. Uh, soccer cleat, check. Soccer jersey, check. Uh, billboards, check. It's like, uh, we're going to hopefully build a kid super soccer field, check. It's like the amount of things that we uh dreams that we accomplished within this collaboration is amazing and so i always say like there's 
I, I have nothing negative to say about this collaboration. It's been unbelievable. And everyone always thinks like, how do you work with these corporate brands or blah, blah, blah. Like, I think people, you're, you have to understand you're talking to real people on the other side. So you just have to, you just have to, they're not robots. So you have to just connect with them and pitch them and they'll, if they're, most of them are good people, they'll see the benefit. And so for me, it was like, even we pitched them a, a kid super soccer field, right? So I had X amount of money for marketing budget because it's two seasons, right? First season is, is this month. And then next season's in like February and stuff. And each season we had X amount of marketing budget. And they were like, what do you want to do for it? And obviously most people do events, a party, blah, blah. And I was like, guys, I could throw a party tomorrow that could do the same significance as a, a Puma party. It would cost me $1. And people would just forget about it the next day. I was like, why don't we create a field and a space that will live on forever, that will allow people to come play, will have stories and will keep generating content and will be a real like statement piece in New York City as like Puma Kid Super Soccer. And they're like, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do it. So when is the like, soccer field happening? Well, the world kind of ended. So we, we have to, we have to go back to the drawing board but also the funny thing is like i was bluffing completely because they were like do you have a place to put this and i was like absolutely the fields can go but <laughs> in in new york city there's like no space to put a soccer field so i've been like scrambling trying to find a building or a space or whatever so uh but it was funny i was like i remember when they said like yeah we we can do the soccer field i was like I cannot believe they're believing me right now. <laughs> like I cannot believe they're they they're saying yes. And so now and now I want it I want it obviously to look gorgeous like the Pagal one, but you can't paint soccer fields, so you have to think creatively within the turf. But that's my goal is to make but it But that's makes you it's a challenge, right? Right. I have so, to make it as mood boardable. <laughs> <laughs> So an advice for other young designers, like uh, how should they get started in the game? We talked a little bit about it, but if you want to give some advice yeah. to them. Yeah, I guess two things. One, not everyone has to start their own brand. I think a lot of people in this generation, everyone thinks they have to be the numero uno, right? And that's because of Instagram and everything and blah, blah, blah. But I do think you can help other people fulfill their dreams. And so I think a lot of the times, even for me, it's like people will come and be like, Colm, I want to help or work or intern or da da da. And then they get there, get here and they're like, this is my brand. And I'm like, look, it's very hard to start your own brand. And sometimes I even wish on my own personal thing, I had helped someone that had a successful brand. So I didn't, have to do all these trial and errors. So I think for a lot of people, it's like, you don't have to be the number one, but you can help create, if you find a brand that you really believe in, help build that up. And then if you want to start your own brand, it's really about consistency and staying at it. You can only build a story if you have time, you know? You can't build this story overnight. So I think a lot of people also like, 
let's say bare minimum you're selling 10 shirts a year right by your 10th year you're at least selling 100 so you'll be you'll always be successful the longer you can stay alive it's a marathon it's a yeah as nipsey hustle said it's a marathon but um rest in peace yeah i mean also it's like what do you why are you starting a brand i think is important too are you starting a brand just to start a brand? Is it? Is there a story behind it? Can can I get invested in it? But I think for a lot of people that don't know the direction, or I also think getting skills is really important. A lot of people are trying to start brands that can't draw, have never used Photoshop, have never used Illustrator, have never. It's like guys, yeah, you, you have to have skills. So how, then, what do you use, for example? In your design I can, process, I usually sketch by hand on paper. Then I'll scan it into my Photoshop, and then that's how I work. And then we'll make like the uh, patterns and templates on Illustrator, and then with the manufacturing, depending on what your manufacturer wants, you either send a pattern, a template, or a sample. Usually, a sample is really the best thing to send. So you send like a similar coat or a coat you've made and then you say, I want it two inches bigger, whatever. The thing is, I learned that completely from trial and error. The first uh, T-shirt I tried to make from a factory, I bought 20 rulers. I laid my T-shirt that I liked and I put rulers all around it. And I said and I took a picture and I was like, this is the size. It was so ridiculous. I didn't know how to do an illustrator to make a line to show how big it was. I didn't know anything. I just bought physical rulers. And so, and then from them, they're like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, oh, can you, can you send me like what you usually get? And then they sent me templates and I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to send them. And then like, that's how I learned. But well, that's amazing that you're also in peace with yourself. You know, some people are too shy to say these things. And I think this really inspires people. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Definitely. Okay, we're running out of time. Yeah, man, <laughs> it was a real pleasure talking to you. And I think a lot of people. So where are you curious. at right now? I'm, I'm in Istanbul, based in Turkey. Have you ever wow. been Wow, guess where my parents live. Where? Istanbul. What? My dad is in Istanbul currently. You're kidding. I'm not joking. I should meet up with him. I know you should <laughs> hang out with my parents. But yeah, my That's parents my, my dad and mom uh my dad works for this Irish company uh because he's from Ireland and they've moved as I was saying, I was moving a lot growing up, but now he's they've moved him abroad and he's been living abroad. My parents been living abroad since I was like 17. And uh, now for the past year and a half, they've been living in Istanbul. That's crazy, man. This is so crazy. But you, yeah. again, how the world w runs, right? Yeah. It's very strange. They love it. My mom's lived in like whatever in the past 10 years, 10 different places. And uh, she says Istanbul is her favorite. Dude, you should come down and visit. I, w I was there for like two days. But I only really saw them. I didn't see 
anything you else. need to see because lots of people don't know about the culture the street culture here and when you don't know someone you it's a city yeah. like it's very That's difficult a, yeah especially you're there for two days to see your parents it's hard to go out and figure out things but, but when i come to I new known, york yeah I'm had a, i known i would have yeah. i would have called yeah for sure let's connect let's stay in touch and if i come to new york we can also hit the soccer field yeah play some exactly soccer. I used no, to be a, a, a defender, so perfect, perfect. We need a good, a good Turkish defender. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and we die for football. You know, we love football and soccer here, for sure. Good player. And really, yeah, man. Let's stay in touch. It was really yeah. a pleasure. Thank you. Really pleasure. Pleasure was mine. And um, I wish you all the best, man. You're a really talented guy, and. Thank I will you. Be following you even if more now. If I'm ever in Turkey, we should meet up. For sure, man. Thank you for listening to Homeroom with Benjamin Aydin and our guest today, Kid Super. Be sure to tune in to an all-new episode next week. For more on our series, go to soul.digital. You can also follow us on Instagram by going to at soulvxp and at Benjamin Aydin. See you next time. You're listening to Soul Radio.